I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with Jeff Shackelford. He is the owner of jeffshackelford.com, also runs the uh, a Substack newsletter called The Quadrilateral. Uh, Jeff and I talk about the latest on the Distance Insights Report. Obviously, that's a hot topic in golf, uh, and Jeff is very well-versed in, in distance and the issue, having, you know basically written about it for the last 20 years. Uh, so we talk about the the latest updated interests of that, as well as a little bit on the Saudis and Augusta National. So this will be a, uh, a episode that kind of covers a lot of things that's going on in regular golf as well as pro golf. So without further ado, here is Jeff Shackelford. All right, we're uh, we're back. Our distance correspondent, our uh, external distance <laughs> Senior. correspondent. Senior. <laughs> Jeff Shackelford from jeffshackelford.com. Also the author of The Quadrilateral, a uh, Substack newsletter that everybody should subscribe to. Uh, it is a, what is it, 50 bucks a year? 54. I, 54. I, I raised it. I don't anticipate raising inflation again, though, for a while. Inflation <laughs> and, yeah, ex- just inflation. That's all it was. Or six <laughs> was bucks a it? month. The keys are getting more. They they're charging you more every time you hit the key. <laughs> yeah, the bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're back. We got another update on the distance report. It seems like years ago when I was in Los Angeles when this first came about, and you you came over with uh, two fully printed out uh, insights report. This was pre COVID. It was right before COVID. I mean, yep. it was February of uh, 2019, 2020, and uh, now we're here. Another update, added areas of interest, another six-month six uh, kind of feedback loop. Jeff, what did you think of the, uh, the latest updates? Uh, I thought it was really good. I mean, obviously, the bad news is um, it's feeling like we're we're not going to really address this for a while when when all is said and done. So that's the bad news. I think the good news, though, is that it's a little more aggressive than uh, expected. And obviously, we don't have all the details of what they truly have in mind. You know, it's the same kind of thing as the last uh, one. They're throwing out the areas of interest and and teasing some of them. Others are more explicit. And so I think that's um, fascinating how it'll play out. But uh, if it is what it reads like, uh, it's 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 the R word. It's a there's a rollback for for the the top guys, and that's um, that's a, a big deal. And it's kind of shocking. I mean, I realize we have a lot going on, and we can discuss why this is. But there's been nothing from players and i i you know i have a few theories but that's kind of shocking i thought we'd get one sort of whiny 
meltdown from a manufacturer bending somebody's ear and there's been nothing. So I think that's key because this thing could get derailed quickly. It's, you know, just like reading the tea leaves and the way it feels, it seems like the manufacturers are somewhat on board. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, David Dusak had a good piece in Golf Week uh, a few weeks before this came out where he had anonymous submissions that, to questions from manufacturers. And the, and the tone in that was a really good sign. You saw for the first time a realization or it just wasn't that knee-jerk reaction. And they may have had a good sense of what was coming. And this is the thing I think was most impressive in the in the rollout. And we've been, you know, wanting this for uh, however long. But they're trying to throw them some bones to actually help the recreational golfer. Um, mm-hmm. Because all the data, they won't come out and say it, but the data shows the average person has not gotten the benefits from from the equipment. The people who are paying for the equipment haven't gotten the benefits that the people who are not paying for the equipment, who just show it off, are, are getting. It's, it's not even close. And so they finally are saying, hey, look, we're going to give you some things that you've wanted or that we think will help you innovate for the average person who's actually paying. And we're going to, though, you know, throttle these guys back. And there might be some ways they've done it where you know, this addiction the companies have to marketing off of the pros, they can keep doing that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, they're just in love with that idea. And, and maybe there's just no other way to sell equipment. I don't know. But um, I don't think I, I don't think that's true. And so I like that they try to give them some things and um, give them that opening to to come back with with stuff because it makes it very hard for them to whine about uh, these changes when you've given them some room to, to innovate. So just to, you know, give a quick overview, the, the air updated areas of interest are ball testing. So, you know, one of the things they haven't been doing is, is testing golf balls at high swing speeds on tour. They've been testing them at below the highest swing speeds on tour, which will be an update. They still aren't going all the way up which is kind of a head-scratching move, in my opinion, since it's just going to go faster and faster in the next couple of years. And then, obviously, a um, a potential for a ball that's faster for slower swing speeds, Yeah, if I read it correctly, and, and slower for high swing speeds, which I think is kind of, that's what you're talking about, blending the two, really helping the average player out and, you know, not helping. I think the, the ball has been the opposite. The ball and the equipment has been the opposite. The higher you swing, the higher speed you swing it, the more benefits you get from the average player. That's been kind of the thing. So this is kind of flipping it on its head, which is, in my opinion, probably the way it should have been for a long time. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the big one is is different driver faces uh, for for professional golfers, potentially, where we might see a less forgiving uh driver face where the MOI, you know, where off center hits aren't as rewarded as they have been. You'd see more of a distance um, drain if you miss the center of the club face, which I I mean, I can't, I can't see how any golf fan in their right mind wouldn't want to see that one want to know who's actually hitting the center of the club face coming down the stretch at a major championship. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how that's done uh, is beyond me. I, I saw one 
report imply that would that would mean uh, shrinking the head? I don't think that was the impression I got. It's not what I got either. Yeah. So, um, and that's where I was saying they can still market the club, whatever it is, the the rogue carbon wood uh, uh, four. And, and, but there would be a marking on it that would make clear that this, this, this one is, is for the, uh, the elite player or the, uh, the serious golfer, whatever that is. And it can, it's on the conforming list. And then there's the one that's, uh, sold, uh, to the, to the recreational player. And, um, so that to me is really fascinating. And I think we don't know, but the combination of all these things and then, what that does to change the player's uh, attack of the ball, that's the part we don't know how much that might reduce uh, distance. So I don't know what the final number is, but it, it seems like it's a solid 10% right now that it would take off those elite guys. I would push back slightly. I think that I feel like the club head speed bump, I mean, they're talking to, about going to a number that is the average of the top 10 drivers on the tour. So... Um, and they're also, it's also more flexible. Um, it's, it's an, it's, it's, it's optimum, uh, launch conditions. It's not a set number. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. I mean, I wrote a, the future of golf, I wrote about the need for that a long time ago. And now that was before you had guys walking out on the range with their track man. And so it seems like a logical step when you know that the players have this ability to be, be fine-tuning and honing their launch conditions daily um, with adjustments to the equipment and some of it's adjustable and all that. Um, so I think that that's a natural progression of the testing, but it's also going to, yeah, that was a pretty staggering statement that that, that uh, John Spitzer made to Mike Stature and Golf Digest at probably pretty much every ball on the tour right now, other than a guy playing a Pro V from three years ago because he likes the way it feels. Uh, might be non-conforming. And that's kind of that. I mean, that was that was shocking, and and there's just been no. I've I've seen very little reaction. I've been watching a lot of the NCAA tournament, so I can't say that I've been mining on the internet for for reactions. But I haven't seen much. It's been uh, you know, we talk about the balls. They would be illegal under these new testing guidelines. But in a way, it seems like you know the Taylor Maid was puffing their chest out about the stealth. Um, the equipment companies, as you've set parameters, they're always going to innovate against them. I think that's, yeah. um, if you go back to the history of the golf ball with, when John Lowe and, and got his regulations, he was excited about way back when, you know, the next day the golf ball manufacturers came out with something that was longer and, and faster than the golf ball. He, he fought so hard to regulate against. So you know, this is what engineers do. You give them parameters, they're going to um, innovate against it. And it seems like recent the recent innovations have been kind of finding loopholes that make illegal equipment for like, you know, with with the stealth, they're talking about how this actually, you know, it goes beyond the CT because of carbon, right? Where it, it actually is faster than, than the uh, allowed, but they found a loophole to get to that. And it... it I think this resetting is going to be great. I the one thing I'll say is that we're going to reset, and we're probably going to get. You know, they talk a lot about like allowing for innovation. We're probably going to get back here in another fifty years. Is the reality right? 
Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, right now I feel like it's so, uh, aggressive and, and it may be aggressive to, uh, with the idea that they'll end up having to, to negotiate a spot in the middle. But, uh, I, I feel like it's going to make a significant, uh, dent. And then, but I think the bigger question is, does it put an end to, to, to your question about 50 years? Does it, does it, does it slow down or end the, potential uh pursuit of speed the bryson-esque type or um i i don't want to say but i watched a young golfer i saw a clip on twitter uh just from a tournament over the week or last week i i couldn't believe how hard um the the player swung and does that do, do these changes permanently uh put an end to to kind of that uh long drive contest type swinging out of, out of your shoes and, and, and return a little bit more of a, of a premium on a variety of things and skills. Uh, so that's that I, I, yeah, I, I, I just feel like the injury thing and uh, the possibility that the driver face changes could, could really stop players from trying to swing that way. I mean, maybe I, maybe I'm, that's a uh, wishful thinking. I, 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 but we'll take we'll take anything right now. <laughs> Years ago, I did this. Po- I did a podcast with a, a guy who did a study on tennis. Um, right. And this is what happened when the oversized racket came about. And and if you look at the world's top ten ranked golfers now, it's the youngest they've ever been. And this is this parallels tennis. Tennis had a period where youth dominated. And it was the youngest. They had the youngest major championship winner at every venue in the same year. And this is what prompted the guy to look into it. Um, and I think we're at that same impasse here right now where we have, you know, the youngest top 10 in the world we've ever seen. And it's by, it's, it's sh- shattering. I mean, Sam Burns just got into the top 10, another 25 year old bumped out DJ. Um, so we're at this impasse. What's interesting to me, I think about the whole th- situation is if this gets, say this gets, implemented in a couple years and it's a less forgiving face that that in a ball that spins more could we see a a window for the guys like adam scott and sergio and these older players that actually have experience hitting the center of the face because i remember when i was in high school and i sound like an old man saying this now but i used to stand on the first tee terrified of hitting like a low quacker off the team. Oh yeah, that was the worst. Yeah, and you see now with drivers, you want to hit the driver. You you right. that's like the the best club you can hit when you're nervous because it's impossible to really miss it. You know, if you hit one off the the bear, off the hosel, it's going to go 15 yards shorter and in the same you know frame of space as if you nut one. You know, and I think that's going to be the interesting thing is that if you do this. There, it's going to change the trajectory of of golf and which golfers are the best golfers. Hmm. See, I, I still feel, and maybe it's wishful thinking. I still feel like if you look at that top ten right now, not not to focus too much on them, but uh, Colin Morikawa will be given time to adjust to that yeah. driver face, and he won't have any trouble. Um, will Zalatoris won't have any, and he's on the top ten, but he's a great ball striker, and he, he'll he'll adjust. Um, I, I do feel like it will, um, 
put a little bit more premium on certain skills uh, or other skills, and that's a positive. So yeah, maybe that that keeps some older players around. Um, but my sense is that part of the reason we're we're part of it's just a generational thing at the moment. We we've we've had some older players who lasted a long time are kind of retiring or going away. Uh, but but I I'm having a hard time with the money involved and 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 the way the game's played. Uh, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of turnover no matter what. So I don't know. And that has very little to do with the equipment in, in some ways, unless you get into the injury speed stuff, then that does have a direct uh, um, tie to, to how the equipment is uh, or what the equipment allows the player to do. So uh, I think it's a positive when the game has a lot of different ways to play. It has a lot of different age groups. I think it's the thing that makes our sport special. Um, and my sense is that those, those truly, uh, special players will continue to be, in fact, I, I, <clears throat> I feel strongly with no evidence whatsoever that those, those extra, they're all great out there, but the ones that are extra special, I think they may stand out more, uh, if this happens, you know, that would be the case I'd make to somebody like Rory McElroy, who's kind of. Uh, I mean, I briefly mentioned it at Riviera. He's kind of all over the map on it, and uh, he, he rolls his eyes at, at people like us on this stuff. But I think you could make a case that he you know, players like him would stand out just a little bit more, or that a player like Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson actually would have won even a little bit more uh, if, if the equipment hadn't changed so much and then gone the way it did in the last uh, 10, 12 years. You know, Kokrak better get his uh, Saudi check ASAP. I think he's getting it soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, he'll be probably in London picking up the first of uh, eight biggies. It's, uh, I, I think the one thing I, f- I forgot to mention was the key thesis of that, of that podcast was when technological change is introduced, new skills are rewarded. And this, this rollback at the professional level would be an introduction of of technological change, and yeah. and I think what the overall point would be is that it would be more the skills would be more similar to skills of past, which is mm-hmm. where you know these where older players hanging on might have you know a a significant advantage because they don't have to relearn these skills or relearn new skills, and uh, and that I think that's where these young players are at such an advantage is that they never learned the skills of hitting a small head and a spinny ball. They don't even know what that was like. And whenever you have to relearn skills or learn new skills at an older age, you're at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, there's no question. Um, I, but I just feel like the timing, this will be, this will be eased. We'll ease into this and there will be, and, and I'm, you know, with launch monitors now and, and, and fitting and how good people are at doing that. Uh, I, I just feel that there's nothing that they're talking about that's so extreme that uh, that's the equivalent of going from a, a, a big-headed driver to, to persimmon or something. There's just nothing that's that great of a leap. And so the combination of what they have in terms of, of availability in, in testing, free, free equipment, uh, the timing, you know, we're looking at this happening over a couple of years, three years probably, four years I, I think they'll be able to adapt, and those players you're talking about, uh, some of those guys will, you know, four years from now, Sergio, Lee Westwood, um, 
you know, will they, I, I yeah, yeah. I don't want to say, but I, 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 the chances of them still being uh, uh, relevant are not great. You look at Ricky Fowler, and he's kind of, I think, like, I, I who knows? Like, everybody loves it, but I think he's one of the guys that you could look at and, and concretely, you know, hypothe- hypothesize that distance really cost a very, very, he's had a very good career, but a, a longer great career because when he came on tour as you know he was the young guy he was like a top 25 driving distance guy and you can see like he just got completely outpaced uh, with with that new wave of golfers where he became average in length and and all of a sudden that has you know disastrous effects down down the rest of your game and through the bag um and i think you know puts more pressure on putting he hasn't putted as well he hasn't hit the ball as well as he's tried to stay relevant in the distance right. race. And you could throw in a, there's a Luke Donald before mm-hmm. him. I mean, there's quite, quite a few cases and yeah, there's no question that watching what guys were doing, he felt the pressure to adjust. It's very hard to hold your ground. And, uh, again, you could make the case there are a couple people who, who have sort of just decide they play it a certain way and they'll play well certain courses uh, and they're happy to make a living doing that. But he had aspirations to do something a little bit more um, uh, profound in his career. Uh, But then you also can't really gauge what kind of money he has made and what that uh, does to your to your drive. I mean, he has done, he, you know, I mentioned this before on other shows, you know, Forbes never puts him in that top 100, uh, list of athlete, uh, athlete income. And it's just laughable. I, I mean, he's, he's doing as well as anybody in golf or, or, or has been, uh, the last few years. So it's hard to, so I just, I just think those career windows are, are going to shorten a little bit. And that's, what's fascinating about, uh, not really necessarily positive about the, the Saudi situation and uh, all the money that's going into these uh, to, towards the players. Um, look, I mean, it's if it's there, uh, they they have they can give it to them, but it's you do wonder what kind of effect it's going to have on longevity in a sport where uh, we need we we like getting to know players, we like watching their career arc. It's one of those things that makes up for the fact that the sport's kind of boring to watch. Um, we get invested in them and it's really fun when they still do something later in their career after we know, saw them emerge. And, uh, yeah, I just love that about the sport. And I feel like we're, we're losing that. I mean, you don't have to look any further. And and this is, if we could just, you know, forget the last six months of, uh, of his, his life, but look at Phil Mickelson with the PGA, you know, that's the perfect example of, of a career arc and, you know, it, it, you know Watson at at uh, at the Open years ago. It's it, you get this you you hold on because the sport allows for players to age so gracefully in comparison to a, a sport like football or basketball, where one day they're relevant and the next day they're washed, and it's yeah. so visually apparent that they're washed. But this sport allows for some grace and some some aging and and uh, you know moments of of where they they shine and they they still have it and and that was phil at the pga um and you know that's the thing that you when you introduce more and more money the drive i think the one thing i would push back on is like the really special players 
will will stay special. Like Tom Brady is a perfect example of of that, and like where you know great great players will defy this thing because that what drives them is not the money. Um, but for a lot of players, and and maybe that's the case is like a lot of players that were never that great. The money will will make them you know kind of fade out a little bit faster. Yeah, and that's I think something we take for granted with Tiger and Phil how much they just kept coming at at you even when they had uh, seemingly plenty of money. And I think Jordan Spieth's one of those players who will be that way. Um, most of the events considered the greatest in the history of the game uh, were the ones where there was a convergence of generations. And and the new guy was coming, and the old guy was hanging on, and there and the and the elite player of the day was involved, and I think that's a really uh, a good reminder, like sixty at Cherry Hills and the eighty six Masters, Pebble Pebble with Watson and Jack, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so there, and you can go way back even into the you know pre pre war years, and same kind of thing happened, and that's. Uh, it's just one of those things in our sport that we we really really love that they. Uh, and we're very lucky. A lot of them like to travel. They like the life and they don't really know any other way. So they play a lot. And it's one of those uh, intangibles for golf. So and that's what but uh, one other thing on this, uh, you know, on the distance thing, I think that's really interesting. I've been kind of mulling. I'll probably write something in the newsletter about it. But part of the reason I, I have a theory that we haven't gotten the reaction from players um, is that the, the manufacturer's money just doesn't matter as much to most of the players like it used to again you know new player coming out on the tour yes i i'm well aware that that whatever that hundred fifty thousand dollar advance at the start of the year to wear ball hat hat and glove is is uh <clears throat> huge um and i understand that uh, five million a year for somebody is not laughed at but uh, I think when you look at the money that's coming to them from the tour or the options they could have somewhere else, uh, that that manufacturer bending their ear about, hey, you got to tell everybody this is this is terrible for the game and it's mean and it's cruel and it's going to take the average person back thirty yards and all that nonsense that you might get. Um, I, I just don't think they have that ability to sway the players and have them do their bidding like that and. And maybe they're not even uh, pushing them that way anymore. Maybe they really realize with the pandemic that the game, they will sell equipment if the game is healthy and being played. And what the pros do has not very little to do with uh, their bottom line. Ultimately, if, if, the, if they're moving equipment, it's because people are playing golf. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Elijah Craig. Discover the greatness within Elijah Craig Small Batch Bourbon. Elijah Craig Bourbon never settles for less than best. Every bottle of their award-winning Small Batch carries a signature warm spice and subtle smoke flavor. It's exceptionally smooth and well-balanced. I like to drink it on the rocks. I also like old fashioned. I am a, uh, I'm a connoisseur of brown juice. Uh, I, I love bourbon in general and elijah craig is great i get uh, i get complex aromas of vanilla bean sweet fruit and fresh mint uh the palate is pleasantly woody with accents of spice smoke and nutmeg those are all delicious things elijah craig won double gold at the san francisco world spirits competition last year and the tried and true award from the ultimate spirits challenge in 2020 pick up a bottle 
or order today uh, for home delivery. Discover the greatness within Elijah Craig at ElijahCraig.com slash Friday. That's ElijahCraig.com slash Friday. The Friday is brought to you by Elijah Craig Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Bardstown, Kentucky, 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Now back to Jeff Shackelford. So on to, on to different topics. Obviously, I think overall, everybody's happy about this. This is a, a good positive development for the game of golf. What's your what's your read on the Saudi situation? Obviously, they last week they announced their, their host sites, which was quite underwhelming. Uh, Greg Norman has gone on a media tour and from what I've seen with the exception of uh, Gary Williams was was met with uh, with softball questions. What uh, what do you expect now that the schedule set? Do you do you expect to see some players defecting in the near future and challenging the PGA Tours attempt to ban players who, who go play? Well, I just don't know the rules well enough to understand because the way the dates are set up, it looks to me like you could play, I believe three is the number that they can get a release on. You can play three before the FedEx and then the three when the schedule flips to the new 2022-2023 year. So I don't know, is anybody, going unless they try to play four, or is anybody going to really uh, initiate a battle with the, the tour? And then... So that's number one. And then number two, it, it just seems like that he's rolled out a schedule. There's no requirement to play. So the thing that, that the, the, the model they stole from the Premier Golf League group required you to be involved in all the events. The whole thing only works if you're you're really all that's in on every for event. F1. You yeah, know, and exactly. Is that, you know, whether Lewis Hamilton wants to or he's has there. to, he's <laughs> at Saudi Arabia. And, yeah. you know, I think that's the thing that that what made that speech that he made a few few months ago so endearing was like I have to be here I'm not happy about it right um but you know this is the you know the the requirement was a big appeal to the model is that the top players are going to be playing every time we tee it up right so what's the point of this if it's they can just dip in and dip out uh and I think a few guys will and can you blame them I mean could you blame Richard Bland for for playing that event in in London uh, at this point in his career and a, and and a probably not that a field that much better than the ones he he's placed played against in Europe and he can make a check that uh, is phenomenal I I wouldn't blame him and he doesn't have to make any commitment although Greg mentioned I I noted this on my blog today he mentioned in the Gary Williams interviews contracts so I don't understand again this independent contractor thing and then you're signing signing contracts you know like what's in that they're they're kind of all over the map and i get it they're trying to pivot here in a reaction to the tour and and they uh dump the asian tour event in london like a hot potato uh and turn that into one of their events uh, just a what six weeks after announcing it as a centerpiece of the asian tour um so they're moving all over the place and the courses are totally uninspired and we know more and more that that I mean, we all we're 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 goofy. We we look at a venue, and that's what gets us excited about a tournament. But I think more and more people are appreciative of the the role the venue plays, and the romance, and the history, or the character of the design. Whether yeah, you know, or even you know the players' championship and the finishing holes. It, people just just uh, are more drawn to certain places, and they don't have the most 
inspired group of uh, of venues uh, is probably the best way to put it. So it just seems to me like, uh, yeah, they'll get some players, but I don't. Ultimately, I'm not seeing the long term wisdom of 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 wanting to join it. I'm not getting the long term vision that that a player can can trust signing on for. Um, and that that's uh, that's a problem because uh, and the Saudis could pull the plug at any minute. They could they could lose interest in no time, and uh, they're not trustworthy that way. I don't think this. You know, Norman talks about going back. Uh, you know, back to 2019, they've been involved in the game. Oh wow, it's like they were you know practically at Leith Links at the founding of the sport. I mean, give me a what, break. That's like one of my pet peeves is when <laughs> when somebody has in their logo like uh you know whether it's like a coffee shop established 2020. Yeah, yeah. It's like what 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 does that yeah. mean? Yeah, big deal. Uh, unless it's ironic, unless they're just trying to be funny. But uh, I, yeah, so that part of his case is just really strange to me. And then, yeah, that he hasn't. I mean, it tells you what you need to know about the Saudis that he can't say. Look, there's no question um, that they 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 there's some things in the past they would like us to forget. They want to forget. They want to move Some forward. Some things in the near past. Uh, that very a recent. Days, a couple <laughs> yeah, days like ago. Last weekend. Um, <laughs> but uh, he can't even bring himself to do that because it's not what they want to hear. And so when you put that together with everything, it's um, it's, a, it's a high-risk thing for a player to leap. On the other hand, you know, I, I don't know how many people um, – truly understand uh, what who they are and what you're getting into i i don't think that that i think that's the thing i don't think that the the general public understands i happened to run into somebody on a golf course who you know was like oh i listened to uh golf.com subpar podcast about greg norman uh, and he and it, which you know they Colton uh, Drew did a interview. They they didn't really ask many tough questions. Um, I don't think they identify themselves as journalists. Um, so you know whatever that may be, but they didn't ask any questions. But the guy was like, "It's pretty interesting. There are some interesting ideas." And I think that's the issue with you know the general public. Just I I don't think it necessarily understands the the you know impetus and why they're doing this. And like you said. They could get bored and pull the plug. They're they're kind of they're kind of deploying what what Uber deployed. You know, we're going to kill the taxi industry, which is you know by offering a, attempt to offer a better product that pays pays more, or in in Uber's case, is way cheaper for the consumer and more convenient. And and then once we have killed off all the competition, we can do whatever we want with it. And yeah. that's the thing I think that's scary is that it could start as something. And if they effectively kill the PGA Tour, then it could evolve into something that's even worse, you know, than uh, than the PGA Tour's product ever was, right? Right. And then one player one day could say, "Holy cow! I just read a book about this whole Khashoggi thing. Uh, this is terrible." And they could, they could. I mean, the whole thing—you just don't know what could set them off. And that's, uh, you know, that's something where the the agents and people involved have to to do the homework for the players and explain that to them. Cause I, I had a conversation with a player at Riviera this year and it was an amazing description of what this was. And you know, I had no concept of, 
it was just to, to this player. It was just a. It's a rich guy who who really wants to get into golf. And I'm like, well, uh, it's a little more complicated than that, and, and the fund, and 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 then it's obviously complicated because the public uh, investment fund is involved in a lot of well, Uber you just mentioned. Yeah. And, and, well, that's uh, the hard thing is, I mean, you 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 live your lo- daily life, and you're probably contributing some money to to this, you know, regime and. You know, that is something that's important to point out is that they are involved in our lives every day almost, you know, as is. Yeah. And so that's one of those things where it's a it's hard for a lot of people to call out uh, this group and, and the way they're behaving. And um, but again, I just I just go back to, you know, at least, you know, the premier golf league concept uh, there was with, with you know, we, the franchise concept that they are building a lot of their um, dream or idea around obviously is a money play. It creates value and their tax implications and great things, but it also is a statement about creating something for the long term. And so now that the Saudis have dropped the, the, that element of their concept and it's a, a startup, it's a beta um, <laughs> yeah, startup. with, yeah, with, with billions the, of dollars and no yeah, product. Billions, yeah. A it's a, billion, it's a pre. They got a pre-money valuation. They, you know, they they got a huge pre-money valuation. Yeah. Of course, the the thing is, Greg's the founder of this startup that has zero equity. You know, uh, zero control is it's just like a a pre-money valuation startup. Yeah, it is. And and uh, what's the long-term vision now when you strip away? The one thing that would be the incentive for players and for investors uh, to to build and to build into something bigger and bigger and bigger and create that value of the franchise, and so that's the the brilliance, and also where you get a comfort level with what the PGL concept uh, does. And now whether that has any gains any traction with people. You know, I still have my doubts about uh, the team element working if there's only really one team event at the end and they're small teams. Um, yeah, I, anyway, those are all details. And you can look at team tennis and say, well, that didn't work. And, and that could be the same thing in golf. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think and from all of this, the PGL has come out way ahead in terms of their image. Unfortunately, you know, the, the Saudis kind of hijacked their idea and, and, you know, just in terms of, you know, their intentions and what they're looking for. Uh, on, on to positive things. We're right around the corner from Augusta. Yeah. What, uh, what's one storyline you're particularly keen uh, heading into uh, the Masters this year? Well, as uh, somebody who loves golf architecture, naturally, I'm totally fascinated by the, the changes at the 11th hole and how that's going to play. You know, we've gotten a teaser, which we don't normally get, thanks to uh, Eureka Earth. So we get to see what's going on, and it's intriguing. Uh, the 15th's a little bit longer. There's some. There's been talk of some greens being redone. You've written a piece about some some widening. Uh, the last aerials did look it did look a little wider, but the rough also looked pretty pretty healthy. Who knows? It may have just rained for a few days and then cut it. Uh, excuse me, the second cut. I got to start getting into my into my uh, master speak uh, mode. And so I'm always interested to see what they've done with the golf course, how it plays, how the players react. Um, 
you know, it's it's another fascinating thing. I've been I've been you know at Riviera. I talked to players about something I was working on for the old course, and you know we haven't really had many reports of players going there and playing. You know that used to be such a thing, and now it's more of uh, rest and get there. Caddy figures out the lines. We discuss it. The team and we crunch the numbers, and we go play. So we really haven't gotten. Uh, I mean, by now we should have gotten some players speaking about what they've seen and there just hasn't been much, or if they've been, they just haven't been asked and, and all that. So I'm, I'm, I, th- I think there's the, the, uh, there's so much other stuff going on. Yeah. That's that part it, of it too. Yeah. I can't remember a masters where it's been, you know, the conversation's been so quiet about it coming up because of True. everything that's going on in the sport. You know, usually like each week is kind of this master's build. And it seems like each week now is the latest in this soap opera we've been watching with the, with the Saudis. Well, and also it's just the, the time we're in where we have some parody, uh, Tiger and Phil. Well, Tiger's not playing. Who knows with Phil? Hopefully Phil plays. If he's going to play, hopefully he plays at the Valero. So it's not a, a full spectacle when he arrives at Augusta. Uh, Rory's grand slam quest has been done now for several years so that's yeah that's lost a little of its luster and the way he's putting you don't really feel like right now uh his his game is um shaping up for augusta but who knows he, he could anything could happen but it doesn't doesn't look great uh so yeah there's not any great storyline with players coming in somebody's not on a streak in the majors brooks has cooled off Spieth's been kind of quiet too. This Very year. quiet. He, he's he, that the swing looks strange. And and by the way, speaking of of duck hooks, he hit a few at Riv. I saw. Um, so it still can be done at, at, with modern equipment. Um, but yeah, he cooled off. We after saw the, we got Pebble Cam Beach. Smith on sixteen. Cam at, uh, Smith. Oh my gosh, that was a quacker. That was an old school. Uh, I think. I, you which know, made his tee shot on 18 so incredible because, yeah, again, like you said earlier, once you hit one of those, uh, and again, there's a whole bunch of players who just don't know what that feels like. And once you hit one, it's the same as a shank. It's the yeah. same same kind of thing. It gets you in your head. The next one's and, going way right, no oh, matter yeah. what. Yeah, and he hit that beautiful tee shot on 18. Like, uh, my God, he kept it on the planet. I would <laughs> I was impressed. I think the thing with the snap hook that is like so many times you hit it so flush and it's just so far. It doesn't feel that as bad as like, you know, when you block one. Right. But that snap hook can can sometimes feel pretty good. Yes. Oh, believe me. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm from the era when, when we transitioned and shafts were not like they were. And there were certain shafts you 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 you'd like uh oh, you'd look up you you felt great at impact and you're like where why what happened how did that happen that was a good swing that felt good yeah uh, and I think that's the, that's the thing about the hook is where it can feel really good and then then to the next one there's no way that's you know that that one is going right no matter what yeah and I don't miss that part of the game and I don't think we want to bring it back. Uh, and I don't think these rule changes are intending to do that. And they, they, it's very hard to with, again, with the quality of the equipment. But, but I do think we'd love to see that, that just slight throttling back out of fear of missing the sweet spot would be, I think it would do a lot of good. And it would also help. You know, that's the thing. We've got to, you know, the green reading books, I think is a great example of where the players actually took the initiative, either because they saw how stupid it looked. 
you know, guy standing there watching another player putt and looking over to the crowd and seeing people laughing at a guy with the book up to his face, or they watched it at home. And it and somehow maybe the PGA Tour rules staff did it. It they got it to their ego and said, "Look, you know, you guys, you all time, you really good players, you Brookses and your Rorys, you're this is stupid. You look stupid. You're gonna you're not gonna appreciate this. Your generation's gonna look dumb." And those guys took the initiative to kind of get a skill of green reading back, whether it was for optics or whatever it was. And I think on the distancing, that's the job of, of Jason Gore and, and the various player uh, representatives, the PGA Tour role staff is like, this This is not to humiliate you. We're not trying to embarrass you. We want you, we want that, that really great player to just be separated a little bit more uh, with these these changes. And if they can buy get that buy-in um, and not feel like they're going to be, we're trying to make them snap hook it and look bad, I think it'll it'll sail through. Uh, I think this is one other aspect. We talk about the Masters and having a little bit less pop. One other aspect of, of a really, really, really young tour is that we don't have these built-up storylines for, for a decade. We don't have... I mean, Sam Burns is in the top 10 in the world, has won three times, and he hasn't played in the Masters. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm really uh, starting to get concerned um, about that in terms of, of getting to know players. And I, I feel like this, this – and television still really matters. So I, I have PJ Tour Live on a lot. And every once in a while, for for a bathroom break for the the the, the uh, announcers, they'll go to a, a pre canned feature on a player, and they're short, you know, whatever they are, a minute or something. But I'm like, that's great. Wait, that was good. We need to do more of that. And the network model now is so shot driven, and and I think this is is going to be looked back on as a disaster. You know, again, golf is not thrilling. And you need reasons for people to watch. And it used to be a sport that 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 old old, old ladies. I knew I knew a few. Um, uh, you know, a friend of my mom's mom loved golf. Never played in her life. And there, there. I think we're losing um, touch with with a broader audience by just showing shot after shot after shot, and not. You know, going into the let's let's do thirty seconds where the caddy just shows us what the player has in his bag, and it shows a little personality or whatever it is. We're missing out. Uh, of course, we're getting no sound from the course, uh, which every other sport is bringing you sound, so you get to to hear these people. The players don't want to be heard. Whatever. I, I just feel like we're moving in a very dangerous direction, along with what's going on with the parody, where. Uh, it's it's going to be hard for a casual fan to uh, to really kind of get invested. Plus, you know, let's face it, the old broadcast used to be a little bit of a yeah, it was beauty, and we've got that. CBS especially is just killing it with the the visuals and the the drone and the blimp and and camera angles improved. But uh, you know, the travel log element to to a, a broadcast, the length of the broadcast, yeah, I just I I I. I'm kind of weird in that I almost think like the network shows should be a little tighter and a little bit more produced and less about shots. So I, I and I don't know how you measure how that has an impact. Um, but I feel well, like it does. 
it's also on the TV network that has doesn't do any features anymore. Um, no, no, that's what I mean. So, yeah, no. I mean, but are like they? It, it beyond it's beyond just the the broadcast. But I think you know you look at print journalism when Brenda and I on the Shotgun Start do those spotlights. You you know you go back and you read these these feature pieces from Sports Illustrated from from you know the '90s and the '80s and '70s, and you yeah. just think to yourself. God, this this whole era of golf is devoid of that. You know, the idea of sending a journalist to right um, Sevi by or to uh, Jose Maria Olathabel's town to you know in in Jaime, I I believe it was Jaime didn't even have an interview set, and he was there for a week, and he just talked to the people that knew Jose Maria, and 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 you know, and you're just missing the storytelling and and the uniqueness and and everything now is run through a filter through the agent so i think that's an important thing to point yeah. out is when you see these appearances on podcasts they, these are set up through the agent then they've got really strict talking points and and different things with with some of them you know some are better some agents are better than others but you know this is um it, it, everything's kind of of uh doled out on on a on a kind of fed out in a in a manner as opposed to the authenticity of of the player profiles and different things is is so much less now and and i think golf the telecast is an interesting subject because i think this is a knee jerk of of swings like they can swing in different directions and and maybe it was too produced and now they're pushing for more shots um, obviously there's all these features and sponsor features that need to be put in there. And, and that, you know, maybe that's the next thing that's pushed against is that, you know, really, what is the FedEx cup updates doing? What are they doing? Yeah. Or the and FedEx, if, the FedEx cup file. Yeah, yeah. He likes to go fishing. Yeah. Great. Uh, although I think they've trimmed some promos this year, which is kind of the other interesting thing. We're getting more shots in part cause they've, they have trimmed a few things, um, instructions, another thing. I mean, I don't, I don't need a golf lesson, but guess what? Most of the people watching the broadcast would love more instruction. Johnny Miller, you realize Johnny was so masterful one, because he, he, he called it like he saw it. He knew how to create drama. Um, and, and then he also knew how to educate you a little bit about the game and say, Hey, now look here. You know, and some people didn't like his swing analysis and thought he was dead wrong and whatever, but that's some, con- that's controversial. Those little things that uh, are, are being chipped away at, I think are, are really problematic. And then to your point, yeah, about, I mean, look at the reaction uh, Dan Rappaport's piece on Morgan Hoffman got, and that was kind of, that used to be done. That was a throwback. A lot. Yeah. And now it's not done. And he, they spent the money. He went, he traveled a long way and it must've been, you know, in the works for a while and is, and it wasn't a great and a fascinating read. And there are more stories like that, but yeah, those are all gone. And, uh, yeah, the master's buildup used to be, I used to, I couldn't wait to get the golf world preview issue, the SI golf plus issue, the golf digest golf magazine did great blowout, um, stuff. And they, they usually be pretty original. Um, and that stuff now is just kind of, I mean, I did a piece of my newsletter, uh, just kind of revisiting one I wrote in 2010 for golf world about the links between St. Andrews and Augusta national. And it's amazing how many people, when I did the piece or they still stumble on it, were like, I had no 
idea and I saw the headline and it sounds stupid. And then you, you know, you explained all the backstory of Bobby Jones and, and, uh, and like those kinds. And so it was fun for me to revisit it and not hate what I wrote and then add a few things that have been, we've learned since. And, uh, but yeah, there's no place doing that now. And, uh, I think all that adds up to being not great for the, the sport. That said, um, but at the same time, those podcasts you're talking about, they're still great that they're they're doing those, even if they are, uh, you know, <laughs> there are guidelines. And and then social media is a tool that I, you know, would love to see that the TV networks just don't use very well to, to do a little feature. And if the worst case scenario is they put it on the social feed, that's it. But then if they get a rain delay or something, they can put it on the broadcast they just go right to the tape of the replay of the rain uh, or the tournament before the year before. And they're also doing, by the way, very little. I, I haven't looked, but uh, I haven't seen anything lately of, of uh, old masters. Uh, CBS had billed that they were going to do a lot of uh, old retro broadcasts of tour events this year. So little stuff, all those little things kind of add up. And I don't, I think they're kind of being reflected in the ratings too. The players has done a wonderful job, and it's like anytime you the an old players is on, there's buzz about it. You know, I know. It, it, I it's know. like people are like enjoy going back and watching ninety nine players and and different things. But um, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. We're gonna see you in uh, in Augusta, yeah. And uh, you're gonna you're you're ramping up. This is quadrilateral season. This is what people should be signing up for. Um, so you'll be on site. And uh, how do people go about signing up? Uh, well, they can just go to uh, my my main website, uh, just spelled G-E-O-F-F Jeff, and golf on Google and jeffshackelford.com comes up. The sign-up's there. It's free. Um, and uh, Or you can try and spell quadrilateral um it's not that hard uh but but uh it'll it'll turn up somehow and uh, or go to substack they have a ranking and so yeah it's going really well and i'll be uh, doing daily reports i don't know you know the, the majors where i stayed home during the pandemic uh it was more news and notes every day i hope to be a little bit more uh try to bring something a little more from on site so we'll see i'm a one-man band so well jeff uh We'll talk to you soon, and uh, and uh, thanks for coming on. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. And uh, just a reminder... We have another show, The Shotgun Start. If you're ever looking for more podcasts, The Shotgun Start is a three-day week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, podcast that delves into the world of professional golf mostly. So if you want more takes um, on pro golf, this is a great spot to go. So uh, it is on wherever you get your, your podcasts. I host it with uh, Brendan Porath. It is a, uh, it's a wonderful listen. It's, uh, it's, it's something that you can get habitually into. Uh, a little bit different speed than the fried egg. So thanks for listening. We will be back on Friday with another new episode.